Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbecue, the only podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network allowed to play in its home stadium in the upcoming week. I am Jake Mintz. That is Jordan Schusterman. Jordan, sleeping in our own beds, baby. Don't need to go to the bubble. One of your better intros yet, because it is true, uh, us podcasters have that luxury. We are not being sent uh, to a bubble uh, in a faraway land. We are going to continue podcasting from the comforts of our own homes. Uh, But Jake Mintz, the teams have entered the postseason bubble. We are down to eight from the ridiculous number that was 16. And uh, we're about to watch the divisional round, which I got to say, the divisional round does not usually feature four divisional matchups, but that is what we have here in 2020 as this bizarre season rolls on. And we're going to do a little bit of previewing because, oh my God, uh, we just had two days without baseball. Uh, it was nice. Which was fine. Which was fine. It was important. I, I was happy with I, it. We both kind of got away. You and I did a little bit of R&R. I went into the woods, had a bear eat some of my stuff. You know, just days off from baseball. The norm. That's good. And I, and I know we had such an avalanche of games last week. Uh, which was delightful and wonderful, and, and and it was so much fun. But like it was fun. We could use this weekend away. Now we'll dive right back into it. Games every single day. We'll have multiple days in a row with four games, and uh, it's going to be great. Uh, we also have a guest on this podcast this here episode. Mr. Boo Shabi uh, of ESPN will be joining us to talk about all things postseason and uh, reminisce about the Marlins the last time they were good because he was doing the games when the last time they were good, which was a long time ago. So we're going to talk to Boog about that, uh, the magic of Don Mattingly, and a few other postseason related things. But before we get to Boog, Jake, uh, we got four uh, spicy matchups. Let's get to into, dive into here, mm. and we're we're going to go chronological here. Uh, last time before, we talked about the before, series. Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out, time out, time out, time out. Before we hop into the preview, because of the way that the podcast recording schedule was timed, you and I have not discussed the Padres. We will talk about them in a preview sense here in a couple minutes. But before we get into like the Rays bullpen. We just need to say, holy fucking shit, the San Diego Fathers, a comeback against the Cardinals in game two was as happy as baseball has made me personally since the Baltimore Orioles were in the postseason. Full stop. (laughs) I was going to say, I thought you were just saying like this entire calendar year, Um, but we're going back even farther than that. It is the happiest I have been regarding a baseball game that my favorite team was not playing in. And there was something very notable about that um, just because of what Tatis and that team represents and the way that it happened with him starting the spark and Machado going back to back, homering again, doing the bat flip. It was just, it was against the, the Cardinals, right? And it was just all written and scripted in this way that was like, it didn't almost, it almost didn't feel real I didn't not cry. And like it, it, there was something very cathartic about watching like the good thing win. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. obviously it's sports and it doesn't necessarily like matter in the same way that the world does. But like there was a little part of it. And maybe I'm giving this too much, you know, importance, et cetera, et cetera. But like for me personally, watching the Tatises and the Machados do the fucking thing that night was just delightful and beautiful. And it would be uh, a disservice if I did not mention it here on this podcast. 
totally with you. We also had uh, a few of our other fun teams, like the White Sox and Blue Jays go down. And I was sad to see their seasons end because it is as simple as I wanted to watch more of them, right? And so that for me, it was almost that simple, but you're so right. It was it was a For big, me, it was we're, obviously we're gonna to significantly more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Let us let us start uh, diving into this series here. We're going to begin. We're going to go in chronological order. I know last week we ordered the series based on the ones yeah. how much we cared about, but we're just going to go in the order of when uh, game ones will be being played, which means we're going to begin in the American League where Oakland and Houston will be taking uh, taking the field uh, first in this round. Uh, you have you have some confusion about that, uh, Jake Mintz. They're going to be playing these games at Dodger Stadium, which is, mm. I guess, a uh, first uh, point to note here as Oakland will be once again playing games at noon local time um, it, d- during this week. MLB doing whatever it possibly can to crowbar the Dodgers and Yankees into the late night primetime spot, which, number one, makes total sense. Like, there are more people who are going to watch the Yankees than the Astros, and that's just a fact. But it does come across very silly that the Astros and A's need to play uh, at noon for the entirety of the series. But let's get into this matchup. Uh, The A's knocked off the White Sox. The Astros knocked off the Twins. Uh, A battle of AL West teams. Jordan is a Mariners fan. This one, uh, this matchup for you is a little bit, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, uh, no one gives a shit, but I'm going to say it anyway because this is a podcast that I co-host. Uh, obviously, the, the Astros have been bullying um, the Mariners for the last several years in Oakland uh, as well. And this was a flip because Houston has been the dominant team in this division for the last few years, but Oakland was way better than Houston in the regular season. And I still think is way better than Houston going into the series. At the same time, something that we all have to start grappling with, especially as we see how Houston is starting to play and the confidence, even if it's kind of bullshit that they're starting to build with Carlos Correa's dumb quotes. Um, we have to start preparing for Houston to really be going on a run here. And I, I'm, I am officially worried. <laughs> Can I say something insane? Yeah, go for it. I'm rooting for it. You're rooting for Houston. When are you not going to be rooting for it? I'm already I, starting to prepare myself for Astros, Yankees, and what the hell I'm no, going to have no, to do no, with no. that. So okay. what, what, what do you That's mean? what How I want. For it? Okay, this is what I want. With all due respect to the A's, I want the Astros to gather momentum and meet 
like it, the further they go down the line, the more interesting the foil is and the more people that I know in my life who don't care about baseball will tune in because they will want to watch them lose. There is something about the Yankees Astros in the ALCS and something about the potential of Astros Dodgers in the World Series that is incredibly compelling to me, right? Like that will be like if it's if the if the final is Rays Padres or something like that where it's like or it okay, let's say if it was uh White Sox uh Padres. That's just t- two great things and it's a win-win situation but there's no give and take narrative to the enjoyment of it. If we get Astros Dodgers it or even be, or even Astros Yankees in the next round. Right. Like that is so gripping and like when I say rooting for, like, you understand what that means in the context of all of this, but I am compelled enough by the possibility of an Astros versus insert team here that, like, I'm willing to be like, like, am I going to stand up and clap if they homer, et cetera, et cetera? You, you, I think you follow what I'm oh, saying. No, I'm, I, honestly, I'm totally with you. I mean, I will be gritting my teeth. Uh, through every <laughs> minute of this series because I don't like these teams. Uh, that said, you're totally right. As far as for overall baseball narrative, it is way better if Houston can beat Oakland. They're, yes. of course, returning and playing the series in Dodger Stadium where they clinched the 2017 World Series, which, of course, it's not like there's going to be Dodgers fans there, so it doesn't actually matter, but we will be watching the Astros play postseason baseball in Dodger Stadium, so that's not insignificant. Uh, Jordan, give me a player on one of these two teams that maybe people haven't heard of who they are about to hear about or should know. You know who I'm going with here. It's Framber Valdez, who I believe will be starting game two uh, of this five game series. And uh, I, I, I was I've been all over the Framber train. I, look, we can all hate all the Astros ch- hitters because they're all cheaters and whatever. That's fine. We can all hate Justin Verlander. That's fine. Whatever. Uh, Framber Valdez and the stable of random ass rookies that pitch for the Houston baseball team right now are are there's there's some really really fun guys in that group including at the very top I believe is Framber Valdez uh, and Noli Paredes would be a bullpen arm that I put out but just a ton of curveballs high fastballs and just like having the time of his life uh, very different look in terms of a left hand pitcher and I think he's really awesome so I'm excited to watch him I for the record don't hate these people. I just want to say that uh, the person Again, we're always like sports hate, sports hate people, sports yeah, hate. sports hate, very different. Uh, the person, the the player that I'm going to select here, Jordan, is also relatively free of the trash can stink, and that is Kyle Tucker. Uh, we are very used to this Astros offense being like Guriel, Bregman, Brantley, Springer, Correa, Altuve, full stop. Right, like those are the guys we've seen them. It feels like a thousand times already. That's not the case anymore. Altuve has had a really terrible year. Bregman has been fine. Their best hitter has probably been Kyle Tucker, him or Springer. Kyle Tucker, right fielder. Like, people will watch the series and be like, who's that guy? Like, where did he come from? And I think definitely a name to keep an eye on in this one. Last two things uh, on this series. One, it'd be ridiculous if we didn't mention the fact that they literally fought earlier this year. I have no idea what the status is of Alex Centrone, the hitting coach, who said terrible Fighting things. in the bubble is yeah. fine, right? Fighting in the bubble <laughs> right. is they're okay. All, they're all quarantined together in the same hotel. There's nothing wrong with that. We, I'm calling it the fubble because it's not a bubble. It's a fake bubble. 
Um, so that is that, that I, I'm sure will at least be mentioned. I hope it does not become relevant, but Ramon Laureano will certainly be thinking of it. And then if I have to give someone uh, on Oakland a shout out, Liam Hendricks, man, has been basically so one of the three best good. relievers in baseball uh, for the last two years. And he is screaming after every strikeout. He is has a ridiculously horrible haircut so hopefully he keeps his hat on uh but in general i like it we like we like liam hendrix a lot uh so there's an oakland guy that i'm looking forward to uh succeeding if oakland is succeeding um, all right all right i think that's all we have uh, did you hear oakland about the Houston. yankees yeah. have you heard yeah. of the yankees yeah this guy on twitter named randy uh i seen him tweet a few <laughs> things <laughs> shouts out to randy who by the way i mean listen we we loved all 16 of our guests 17 of our guests on the preview um, but Randy delivered exactly what we anticipated Wanted. and what we were envisioning. And he is great. And if you don't Tell follow it. him, please follow him. Even if you hate the Yankees, it is very enjoyable to watch him <laughs> about the Yankees. And if you haven't listened to our postseason preview pod about why every single team is going to win the World Series, you should go do that. All right. Yankees raised Jordan Schusterman. This is the big one. I am very excited about this. I love the juxtaposition here. The Yankees have so many famous baseball players and the Rays, I would say have like half of one in Blake Snell. And yeah. like, I mean, it, it honestly, is, they're just as good as question. That's a great question. Who's the second most famous Ray? Actually, mm. I'll, I'll, I'm going to push back on this. I'm going to say Charlie Morton because he was a world series hero too. So after Charlie Morton, and, and I know he's still behind Snell because Snell won the Cy Young, but, but I'm saying like, okay, I'm saying that like, more people know who like Luke Voigt is than oh, Charlie Morton. Of course, of course, of course. I'm I'm saying here, who is the third most famous Ray? Because will you give me Charlie Morton as number two behind Snell? I think you could flip-flop them. I would but, say Kiermeyer is probably number three. Interesting pick. I oh man, I think you're probably right. Um it might anyway, but be my point, my point with this now? is that like <laughs> my favorite part about it is that for years. The biggest challenge to the New York Yankees were the Boston Red Sox, right? And we were kind of conditioned for that relationship where they both had very famous players that everyone knew and, and, and could hate and understand it, right? Like Yankees fans could like point at David Ortiz. They could point at Pedroia. They could point at Pedro. But like you can't like point at Brandon Lau. Like you can't get super fired up about like John Curtis coming out of the bulb, like Nick Anderson can't rile you in that same way. And there's a part of the Yankee fandom that almost like feels unsure what to do with a juggernaut raise team. And I find it to be super interesting and very weird. Like I wore a raise Jersey to go pick up locks at a deli before Yom Kippur breakfast. And the guy was like, Hey, the raise pretty good. I'm like, yeah, You're like, yeah, who, who's pretty good. Who's pretty good. And he's like, what? <laughs> he like, was like, but, Michael Perez, a very viable backup. I was going to say like, and here's the thing, like, and I'm not trying to, they're obviously very uh, plugged in and, 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 and uh, educated Yankees fans, but I'm sure Yankees fans know that they hate the Rays, know that they're supposed to hate the Rays and know that, you know, they had a scuffle earlier in the year, but like how many of them could actually tell you it was Mike Brasso that Chapman <laughs> was throwing out and then hit the homers in the next year. It's like, there's no way, like they, they don't know who these people are, but it doesn't this matter. This is my whole point, right? When yeah. the Yankees and Red Sox had fights all the time, right. like it was like Manny 
fucking Ramirez and Pedro and Roger Clemens, right? David like, Ortiz. It, like these are David Ortiz. Extremely the famous Titans. baseball players, right? Right. Those dudes are like on the Mount Rushmores of famous baseball people. And this is not that. And I find it to be very, very interesting. Let's zoom in though, Jordan, uh, on the field. Game one is going to be a phenomenal starting pitching matchup. Garrett Cole, Blake Snell. Hopefully it delivers more than Cole Bieber did. That was a huge <laughs> Huge stinking letdown. Uh, who who are you smelling here? Man, it's so hard. And 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 you know we're going to talk a little bit uh, later uh, about just the whole neutral site thing. This is being played in San Diego, and I know that you know when we had uh, our friend Juan Toribio uh, on this on this podcast to preview the Rays and whether they can win the World Series, he, he talked about the Trop and how every time the Yankees go down to the Trop, they bitch about the Trop. And at the same time, you know Yankee Stadium is always a, a, such a big part of the Yankees postseason experience and to just throw that out and just have it in beautiful San Diego and this great kind of pitcher friendly, but neutral super ballpark. Chill. Like I'm really excited to see like, okay, like these are just two really awesome baseball teams playing against each other. Like I'm excited in that way uh, because yeah. we're not going to have fans anyway. Like I think that's going to be uh, fascinating, but oh man, honestly, like the Yankees impressed me enough to where I'm pretty scared that they have a lot going on right now. Uh, but right now I'm leaning Tampa in five. I know we didn't make predictions in, in Oakland, Houston, but right now I'm leaning Tampa in five um, because I still believe they have way more pitchers, uh, even if you don't know their names. Uh, these are the two best teams in the American League. I think I feel very, very confident in that now after watching the Yankees do what they did to Cleveland. Uh, Jordan, who is someone in the series that uh, people need to know about? Oh man. Well, you can't pick a Yankee. You're not, you cannot pick a, like if we're doing under the radar guys, you Hey, keep an eye on Aaron Judge. Okay, here, here's what I'll go here because, you know, we, you hear so many people talk about, and, and I'm mostly picking this because I know who you're going to pick and I probably would have picked that too. But everyone talks about, oh, the Rays bullpen, Rays bullpen, Rays bullpen. But again, like even besides Nick Anderson, you're just saying Rays bullpen. You don't actually know who you're referring to. We're just saying Rays bullpen. And I'll, I'll go ahead and shout out Pete Fairbanks here, who is one of the, I know we've had Diego Castillo, Nick Anderson were awesome last year, but Fairbanks is the guy who's the, the, the latest rando throwing 98 um, that is just going to, you know, throw like, uh, just strike out the side in the eighth in a huge, you know, three, four, five hitters. And it's like, holy shit, who is that? It's like, it's Pete Fairbanks. He's really good. So I'll, I'll show out, uh, shout out Pete there. Uh, I'm going to pick Randy Rosarena, uh, outfielder for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Jordan, he had a hard hit percentage this year, albeit in a relatively small sample size. Uh, He hit 44.2% of balls hard over 95 miles an hour. Uh, Aaron Judge only was at 40. So I know that that is not totally uh, encapsulate the difference between uh, Aaron Judge and Randy Rosarena. But Randy Rosarena is, I think, really good. And he is one of the fastest guys you'll see in this series. He is going to be the guy, I think, more than anyone else that Yankees fans are going to be like, wait, who is that guy? And uh, just keep an eye on him. He he just you, Jordan, when you talk about soccer, you bring up soccer players you like watching because they just do shit, right? They just make stuff happen. You know what I mean? Like that is how you watch soccer. And I think Randy Rosarena is a makes stuff happen guy. I have no stats to back this up. I'm sorry. I don't. I like, there's no number for that. I just watching the Rays. He does stuff and that's great. And I like watching it. 
I'm looking at a thousand OPS uh, in his 76 plate appearances in the regular season, and he was doing shit in his uh, first two postseason games, and uh, he's been great. So he does shit, pick. man. Uh, I will say, if I am going to shout out a Yankee, it's John Carlos Stanton returning to the place where he hits 7,000 home runs in the 2016 uh, home run derby. Uh, so that <laughs> that could be uh, fun if he uh, hits one over the Western Metal Supply Building. Um, who are you? I guess you you forced me to say who who i like more in the series do you are you actually picking anyone here uh yeah i think the yankees are gonna win i i am rooting for tampa because i think this team is super fun but i think i think we underestimated the yankees and i think they're just gonna when when it's all clicking they're there's a reason that we were like the dodgers are 1a and the yankees are 1b at the start of the year and i think Uh, we'll see it in this series Super fair for completionist sake. Uh, Houston, Oakland. Do you think Houston can actually win? I'm yes. saying Houston at five. I think Houston at five. Yep. Uh, all right. Let us move to the National League and begin with the Magic Marlins against the Atlanta Braves, who will the hot uh, fish, baby, <laughs> hot fish, who will be uh, facing off uh, on Tuesday uh, in Houston. This is just sure. be all kinds of weirdness. Uh, we've got the Marlins heading down uh, to Houston where they will be taking on their division rival, Atlanta Braves. Uh, what are you excited about uh, for this uh, matchup? We talked about this later uh, with the Marlins, but they are playing with big house money uh, here, Jordan Schusterman. I'm just excited to see if they can keep this thing going. I am very skeptical. I mean, I don't. You, you doubt the fish. It comes back on you. I know that. I understand that they've done that all year. I think the Braves are really good and just kind of learned how, how much they can rely on those two starters in the bullpen. And I think once the offense wakes up, this is a very good team. I Totally agree with that. Uh, so, of course, a lot of you will recall, and we talked about it at length here on the show, that this was the matchup that produced 29 to 9 on September 9th. Um, that was a game started by Pablo Lopez for the Marlins before Jordan Yamamoto gave up a million runs in relief. Now, the Marlins went 4 and 6 against, four and six against the Braves in the regular season, but I want to bring up this game in particular because Pablo Lopez starting is significant because I think in this series, the first two games should be like really damn good regular games. You're going to have Sixto, you're going to have Sandy, you're going to have Ian Anderson, and you're going to have Max Fried. And then after that, it's going to be probably Pablo Lopez and Kyle Wright. And then after that, again, there are no off days. So it's not like Sixto's coming back for game four or anything. It's going to be, gonna be I honestly like don't Bryce even know. Bryce <laughs> Wilson, right? right. Against... And, is Jose Arrena on the roster? Like, I, I don't know. So I just think games three and four could be truly, truly ugly and hopefully a 29 to nine again. And uh, this maybe is, they can take this is this why I will take the Braves in this because I agree. When, when it gets messy, the Braves offense against the Marlins back end pitching is going to do more damage than the Marlins offense against the Braves back end pitching. Absolutely. And look, love hot fish. I will continue to heat up my fish at the workplace and keep that keep the fish hot, Jordan. Uh, I will pull for them, but I am just skeptical about the back end of that rotation. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah, 
I'm um, all in. All in on the Marlins, but I agree. I say Braves in four. I assume that they will win one of these two games with Sixto or Sandy, but after that, I just I just do not know how they're going to keep pace because we started to see Atlanta heat up at the end. I know they went so scoreless, but that was against really, really good Reds pitching. But you saw with those two homers late uh, in game two against the Reds, like I just think it's about to really, really pop off. Um, and if that does happen, it's going to be extra fun to see how they roll into the to the CS. But um, anything else uh, on this one? Are you, any 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 player we want to shout out here uh, on on either of these teams that you're? That yeah, you're uh, Freddie Freeman. I don't oh, know if you've heard of him. Yep. Okay. Vaguely familiar. What's his deal? Uh, he's, I he's really really good. Oh, he he's really good. He's oh really, really, really my good. god, he's really no. Uh, the guy I will actually go with is Travis Darno, who uh, we people know because he was on the Mets, and the Mets are famous. Uh, and he was like fine on the Mets, and he was like a top prospect for a while. He got traded uh, with Cindergard, which is kind of crazy to think about now uh, for a number of reasons. But he's ended up uh, on the Braves, and he has been outstanding this season. Uh, one of the best catchers in the National League. Definitely a guy to look at. And a reliever. Give me Tyler Matzik. This oh, is a crazy story. Say, yeah. Tyler Matzik. Oh, so you give give the uh, Tyler Matzik Yeah, background. so Tyler Matzik, you might, of course, we talked a lot about Daniel Bard this year, who was you know, away from the majors for seven years with the yips and whatnot. Tyler Matzik, same kind of situation, except Matzik was like a huge prospect, first rounder in 2009 from the Rockies out of high school, makes the majors briefly in 14 and 15, and then has two different stints with the Texas Air Hogs in the American Association. Um, and he, again, is not throwing strikes at all uh, to the point where it's like a danger to have him pitching baseballs, but eventually he gets it, gets it back, finds the heater again, Braves signed him last year, and now he's been in the big leagues and has been one of the best relievers in baseball and is also just not walking that many guys, which is absolutely amazing. So Tyler Matzik, a uh, very, very important uh, part of their bullpen and also an amazing story. Uh, as for Marlins, we love all the Marlins. I, I, every single Marlin that comes to the plate, I'm like, I am rooting for you. You are great. The videos of the Marlins at Wrigley Field smoking cigars on like in the dugout after the game, some of the more enjoyable baseball video content I've watched in some time. Yeah. And I, and by the way, all in on the bottom feeder stuff, like that's exactly what they should be doing. God bless. Go fish. Go. Uh, all right. That's Marlins. And Jordan Let's quickly. Is it acceptable? Guess. Is it acceptable to microwave fish at the office? No, never. Let's move on to the Padres and I the disagree. Dodgers. Oh my goodness. The fourth and final divisional series, divisional matchup that we have here in this round. And like with the Yankees and Rays, I am just truly upset that this can only go a maximum of five games. But we are going to enjoy every second of it. Um, there's a million things to, to go over here. But what are you most excited about here? Uh, again, this will be taking place back at ground zero for Slam Diego and Fernando Tatis Jr. <laughs> 3-0 gate. Uh, Globe Life Field, where also, of course, that will be the site of the World Series. Uh, so set the stage, Jake Mintz. Um, I think our producer, Bobby Wagner, tweeted this, but there's something about Fernando Tatis Jr. that makes me want to proselytize. It makes me want to, like, go door to door and tell people and hand out brochures about him. And, like, I want to spread the gospel of this man. And I, through a game and a half, of the last round, he did not show up, right? And it was like, is he going to rise to the moment? Is he not? And then he super did. And it was 
again, I talked about it at the beginning. It made me so happy. I am excited to watch him and get to watch him for a minimum of three more baseball games. That is the, for me, that's the priority. It's that simple. Like the energy that he brings on my television screen is worth the price of the television. As for the Dodgers, I think this is a very important uh, moment for them because this is really what we all know. Everyone has collectively understood and agreed from the beginning of this bizarro COVID season that the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. Um, but we've kind of put that to the side and said, okay, well, we'll see them in the postseason. I don't have to think about them. And with the series with the Brewers, which ended up closer than we thought, it was the same thing. It was like, well, they're way better. I don't have to still. But now we actually can pay attention and watch the Dodgers compete at the highest level against a team that is also really good and also really wants to beat them. And now we can fully focus and realize and understand why they are so good. Um, and it's, of course, a lot of the same things that have had them in the postseason in the last five years. And then you add Mookie Betts. <laughs> so, and and a completely rejuvenated Clayton Kershaw, who had his best postseason start ever against, granted, one of the worst lineups we've ever seen in the postseason. Um, but the, listen, man, like now, now it's now we're here. We finally made it. Every game up to this point with the Dodgers was just like, yeah, they're the best team, whatever. It doesn't matter. Now we're here. Now let's see it. It's like simming to the postseason. Pretty much. Pretty much. Pretty much. You, you know you have the best roster, and now here, here's the part where you're actually going to play the games. Uh, <laughs> now, one of the big uh, things to note, I would say, this was brought up very often, and I would definitely dominated the proceedings for the Padres in the previous round, but the status health-wise of Mike Clevenger and uh, Denelson Lamette, I believe at time of recording, Jordan remains unknown whether or not they will be on the roster uh, that's a huge deal. Like we do, we just do not know where these guys are at. They're not only their two best starters. We saw how important these two pitchers are to the flow of the Padres run prevention plan. Yes. The Padres went out in game three and tossed a bullpen day shutout. No, I do not think they can do that against the Dodgers. Absolutely. No chance. Yeah. I mean, uh, cause right. They, they, they won the series by surviving two disasters by their three and four starters, Paddock and Davies. And do I think Paddock and Davies are as bad as they looked in those games? No, but like, th- again, like you said, <laughs> they're not facing Paul Goldschmidt and some friends. They're facing the Dodgers. So <laughs> it's going to be a way, 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 way tougher challenge. Now I will say, and I re- mentioned this in the regular season, I'm really curious to see if this park plays like the insane pitchers park that it was for the entire regular season. Now, yes, it was weighted by the fact that the Rangers offense was dog shit, but like that park was extremely hitter unfriendly. Now, Fernando Tatis Jr. obviously had a good time there, but in general, most guys, teams were not putting up that many runs there. And I'm, I'm curious to see how that uh, impacts this series uh, as well. Uh, one thing to keep an eye on for this series, I want to say the Padres did it. They beat the Cardinals. Trent Grisham right now has been leading off for them, and he looks like he is hitting on another planet. The dude, his timing, in a bad way. way. Yeah, Fernando Tatis looks like that too, but in a good way. Um, Grisham just looked lost. His timing was super off the entire time against St. Louis. It'll be interesting to see if they keep him in the leadoff spot, if he's able to figure that timing out. Because Jordan, I've heard, uh, I, I know he did homer off of Clayton Kershaw, and it was a whole thing. Kershaw and Bueller, not the easiest guys to time up. Yeah, 
Uh, I, I can't imagine uh, that's going to be a, a matchup. Right. So he he goes 0 for 11 um, with six strikeouts in the three games against the Cardinals. Finished the year on a 3 for 27 skid. So, like, he's not looking great. And, yeah, I just don't know why. Like, they have so many good players. Like, does he still need to be leading off? I don't that know. That being said, uh, a guy who I want everyone to think about, not necessarily under the radar, uh, Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham was hurt for a good part of the season, so you will notice he's not in like a lot of the Slam Diego highlight tape, right? He's not there because he was injured, but he's back. And a cursory glance at any of the games against St. Louis, and you can't help but notice Tommy Pham. There, there. The Padres play with this very interesting mix, or Tatis particularly, of joy and intensity, right? And I would say if Tatis is in the middle of the joy and intensity, Profar is the joy and Fam is the intensity. Fam comes to the stadium like to work. And he, all of his at-bats have this like level of mm to them that is very different and unique and compelling and I think could be a game changer in this five-game set. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. I mean, we've talked enough about Cronenworth on this show, and I'm sure Michael Bauman uh, will be covering his his exploits uh, uh, a healthy amount on the Ringer MLB show. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so many fun Padres. In terms of Dodgers, like, again, they have so many famous players and so many hitters that are great that you know are great. Um, I would say Will Smith is the one who's had the most incredible year offensively that is just like the next amazing Dodgers hitter that has too many other famous teammates for anyone to care about. Um, but if I'm going to go with a pitcher, Tony Gonsolin, man, like he's, I would be stunned if he doesn't start one of the games in the series. And he's certainly going to be more important if the Dodgers advance. But he is just one of the stranger aesthetically. He has a great splitter, first of all, just the way that he pitches. But just like, he just does not look like a baseball player. He looks like he was in Clerks is really what the movie that it makes me think that he was in. And I just think he's a weirdo, but I think he's really good. And that's the Dodgers. Just to paint the discrepancy here in terms of pitching quality between these two teams. Jordan, starting game one of a playoff series, would you rather have Paddock or Kershaw? Yeah, Kershaw. Paddock or Walker Bueller? Bueller. Paddock or Tony Gonsolin? Ugh. Tony Gonsolin. Paddock or Dustin May? I'm very low on Dustin May, but still Dustin May. <laughs> Pa- yeah, Paddock or Julio Arias? Arias has been awesome, uh, but that's probably close to you. See, but probably this Arias. is my point, right? Is that like, exactly. you look at the Dodgers starters and you're like, how is that dude not starting? You know, and the Padres are like, can we just get like one? Right. Please, please, please. I don't want to predict this series. I don't want to predict this series. I can't. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, okay. Well, then I won't either. Um, but that's weird. Well, I, we already know because you've been picking the Dodgers to win the World Series. So you've indirectly uh, picked against the Padres. How could you, Jake Mintz? Uh, all right. That was a lot of fun. Those are our four divisional series matchups. Uh, thank you, Jake Mintz, for running through those with me. We will now send it to our wonderful guest, Mr. Boog Shambi, uh, to tell us about the Magic Lens and why the 16-team postseason is back. Calling Boog Siambi, baseball, studio microphone. All right, we are now very excited to welcome into Baseball Barbecue one of our favorite broadcasters and favorite people nicknamed Boog in the entire world. Uh, Boog Shambi, uh, welcome to the show, my friend. 
you guys remember the last time I was on with you, right? You were in like England or somewhere in Europe and the <laughs> audio connection was terrible and you guys were like 12 years old and now you're 16 or whatever you are. But that, that was the last time I was on with you. You are correct. Uh, our old uh, podcast, this is when Jake and I were studying abroad <laughs> in Europe in 2015. So five years um, and we look mostly the same and we're still doing a baseball podcast. So, But a lot so has like changed. Whatever- whatever you want to say i just want to make this clear okay i I you guys i mean you guys have been you guys are a hot commodity i was on the bandwagon early i was on the bandwagon early you were buying bbq for bbq futures that's right that's right believe it that's right he wouldn't have agreed to the the cross uh atlantic ocean podcast the intercontinental (laughs) interview yeah Mm mm-hmm uh, so, Boog, you uh, are a baseball broadcaster, obviously, for ESPN. You just got done doing the Cardinals, no, doing the Marlins Cubs series. Uh, it was a weird one. Before we get into kind of the larger, what the hell is up with 16 teams? Do we like it? Do we not? I just want to talk Marlins briefly. You used to be the broadcaster for the Marlins for a while. Um, walk me through your personal emotions of seeing the Marlins be competitive again. Like, do you have an affinity for them because it was kind of where you got going? Mm, not, not really. I mean, I like when I was there, it was personal and I, I was connected. I came up with a lot of the guys. The 03 team was the team that was personal to me. My first year as a broadcaster was 97 and they won it all. And I got a World Series ring. But then they traded everybody. And the group that came and that stuck around for a while, and a lot of good dudes went through there, guys like Kevin Millar and Ryan Dempster, um, and obviously the group on that team, um, Mike Lowell, Derek Lee, Alex Gonzalez, Luis Castillo, Miguel Cabrera, Josh Beckett, Brad Penny. It was a good group. And Mike Redmond as well. So... I, now I would say, no, I don't have that connection. You know, remember, they, they basically blew out every person that I knew, including the broadcasters. So I don't feel that there, there's sort of a vague connection and, and heart feel, but it's, it's pretty far removed. So your last year there was 2004, correct? 2004. And they'll also keep in mind, and this is the way this thing works. It's hard to explain to people who are fans. They can't totally get it. But like I grew up a Phillies fan and I go and I'm broadcasting for the Marlins and they're fighting against the Phillies in, you know, for a playoff spot. And it becomes the Seinfeld thing. It's just laundry. I'm sitting on the plane with these guys. I have a personal connection. I, the game's over and Mike Lowell comes and sits next to me on the bus. I want the Marlins to win, not the Phillies to win. I say it to Red Sox fans all the time. If you went and worked for the Yankees and flew on a team playing all the time, you'd end up rooting for the Yankees. I swear. A hundred thousand percent. A hundred thousand. And it becomes super personal. So yeah. So, so 97 was my, was my first year. And you know, I get a chance to to learn there and and meet so many great baseball people, including the late Gary Hughes that just passed recently, who was an amazing scout. So, um, yeah, I love my time there. It's where I it's where I learned how to do it. Let's focus on this year's Marlins. So, you just yep. watched 
18 innings of them, which yeah. is, to be honest, more than I watched of of those games. Yeah. Why are they good? Why are they still winning? It is a very vague and large question, but it is one that like my dad asked me. He was like, Jake, right. why the fuck are the Marlins here? And mm-hmm. I couldn't totally answer it for him. So I'm going to kick it to you. So I, because I'm, this is really the epitome of me, but not as a, as I, I don't mean it as an asshole, but I parse sentences. I just do. You ask me two different questions. Why are they good and why are they winning are two different questions. I'll answer the first question <laughs> first, Alex. I don't think they're that good. Their offense is bad. Like it's a it's a yeah. very below average offensive team. It's very it's just, rinky dink. The offense just feels like it got pieced together at the last moment. But here's the thing: the way you know, I said it in game two. It's one nothing, nothing, nothing. There was nothing, nothing in that game, but. I mean, it was just screaming somebody was going to hit a home run. And once once that starts to happen, no matter who the teams are, you don't have to have a lot of good dudes for one guy to just hit a homer. Now, why are they still winning? They can pitch. And, and when you start to shrink it down, you know, the two guys we saw, Alcantara and Sanchez, have really good stuff. Now, for me, even then... I'd like them to strike more guys out. I think you're better off striking people out, and they don't. They throw hard and generally allow contact. But it, look, if there's if there's a thing they're leaning on, it is timely hitting and you know starting pitching that's going to shut you down, and the starting pitching that'll shut you down enough to get to a back end of the bullpen that's decent. Also, like timely hitting and timely homers is perfect for a team with. Garrett Cooper like Garrett Cooper is yeah. the perfect timely homer guy like it's right. not like you're super excited yeah. to have Garrett Cooper but it, or Aguilar or Dickerson so yeah it's it's you've, so true you've watched more postseason baseball over the last couple of decades than anybody on this planet like do you think there's something to be said for them playing with house money like there are no expectations in the fan base there were very relatively low expectations in the organization itself even especially after they had the COVID outbreak do you think there's anything to be said for that yeah I think there's something to be said for that it's interesting because I have I have experience in watching it and watching it in person Um, you know I've been doing it nationally the postseason now for 11 years and then you know watching it you know for for a long time, you know, going back to my days with the Marlins when I was 26, I guess. So I've seen, look, I've seen a lot of it. I guess um, there's still some randomness to it. And so so I think it's ridiculous to dismiss the fact that they're just loose and they're playing up that, you know, nobody nobody believed in this thing. And that's going to be fine until they don't score any runs. Which is probably going to happen. Correct. (laughs) Right. I will say, though, this is the last Marlins-specific thing before we kind of go big picture here. Um, And this is sort of related to Jake's question. Is I have to ask about Don Mattingly. Because I think when the Marlins have sucked for the last Mm -hmm. very long time. Right. (laughs) um, And even as he's been there, you know, which is now, what, five? This is his fifth, sixth season with them? This is his fifth season. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. Going into this season, and I don't know if it was before or after the pandemic, but I know we already gets the takes the pay cut. And and even last year, it's just like 
And after they trade Stanton Yellow, we were just like, why is Don Mattingly still managing this team? Not because right. he's necessarily a bad manager, but like, what is he getting? It felt out like of a this? Ron Garden hire True. situation in Detroit, yeah, right? Like, Where I, like he was just kind of there to carry the water for a couple of years, and then they'd bring in the new guy when they were good. Right, and so I, I mean, in this crazy year, like I, I think people assume he's going to win Manager of the Year. Not that that's an award we particularly care about, but like, what do you know? Because I know you get you have a ton of insight into right. managers and and talking to them regularly throughout the season and off season and winter meetings, whatever. So I just wanted to get your sense on Don Mattingly, the manager, because this has just been a fascinating thing to kind of watch. So it, it's, I mean, I understand what you're getting at. I think the part that we kind of discount is. These, you know, some of these guys just decide that, you know, like he was a really great player and now he's a manager and he wants to manage and he wants to win. So it's like he thinks of himself as a manager and he's super competitive. These guys are all I, I think if there's one aspect that I could thing that I could say in terms of to the general population, you know, you hear all the nonsense about you know, the stories of Michael Jordan that frankly make me roll my eyes. You know what I mean? It's like in the last, you know, in the, you know, the last stand, it's like, we're playing the Sonics in the finals and I'm at dinner and George Carl's at the restaurant and he walks past me and he doesn't say hi. And that's all I needed. And it's like on Twitter, somebody tweeted, I was in Seattle. And I asked them for a venti and they gave me a grande. And I was like, all I needed was them to do. I look like a grande. I'm not a grande. But there's some realness <laughs> to all of that shit. Like they, for real, the, these guys. So my point is to the average person out there, for as competitive as you think you are, you're not. You're not. Right. They're right. really competitive. So I just think, look, Don Manley doesn't need the money. I, I just, he, he wants to manage and he wants to win. And this is where it's happening. I don't think it's much, it's much more complicated than that. And a lot of these guys are certain ways. I don't think Craig Council would go take the Marlins job. I think if Craig Council's choice, I mean, he, I know him better. David Ross, I don't, I don't know if those guys... There are, let's put it this way. And this is not like Don. There are certain guys that want to manage, but they only want to manage in certain spots. You know, Don Mattingly wants to manage and, and he's competitive and he wants to win. That's the it's not it's not it might not be that interesting, but that's the insight that I would give. It's kind of like guys will just go manage anywhere. It, to me, there's the difference between like the big leaguer who at 35 and has a successful career hangs it up. Versus the big leaguer who at 35 after a successful career like goes and plays indie ball or goes to right. Korea or goes to Japan. There's yes. like an extra level of yeah. addiction slash yes. desire yes. slash competitiveness yeah. to it. Totally right? agree. That's it. It's in that same. It, it is. It's not apples to apples, but but yes, I right. think it's connected to that that type of deal. Yes, absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. 
Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Uh, let's move on. Let's 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 move out a little bit here. As much as we love the the magic, the magic lens. Uh, let's talk about just this the the madness that we just watched. Uh, yeah. Over these last over this last week, which was uh, the first ever you know sixteen team postseason yeah. wild card series round. Um, yep. Jake expressed some pretty strong feelings about how the sixteen team team. Uh, field impacted the end of the regular season in terms of how much we should have even given a shit the last few days because it was so hard to, hard to follow and the teams weren't even that good so it was like why should I care um but let's try to fo- I mean we I guess let's start there 16 teams what do you think do you think we'll stick with it uh but mostly I, I, I'm most curious as to how you experienced and enjoyed the last week of postseason baseball but I know that's a lot of questions let's start with 16 teams okay you also snuck in there order. I think they'll stick with it. I do think they'll stick with it. I am not a fan of 16 teams, but if they want to do 16 teams, I have very strong thoughts. I'll start with this. Here's my, I, I have, if, I wish I, I'm going to give a PowerPoint presentation, but unfortunately I don't have a PowerPoint. So here we go. Okay. Welcome to my, welcome to my Ted talk on the 16 team playoffs. It starts with this. Baseball does not have a postseason problem. Baseball has a regular season problem. I don't like 16 teams in the playoffs. If you're married to 16 teams being in the playoffs, then the way, in my opinion, you have to do it and they won't have the guts to get anywhere near this is this. Then all of the rounds need to be, the first round needs to be five, the division series needs to be seven, LCS, et cetera. And you need, or I think probably even better, seven, 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 seven. And you need to cut the regular season down to 124 games. Yeah. That's what you need to do. I, you can't have teams. You can't, you can't have greatness over 162 games like the Dodgers teams winning 116 games 
And then there's the chance that they on two, like whatever, like the Brewers are bad. Okay. But if you don't think if the Brewers were hundred percent healthy, best two out of three with a healthy Corbin Burns and Woodruff that they couldn't beat them, you're out of your mind. And that's not right that we're playing. What are we playing all these games for? Yeah, and I think, I think it's, it's misdirected this idea that, at, that people think that adding those extra playoff teams will get more people invested in the regular season. This game right now is the problem is three things happening all at once. I think you've heard me rant on this. You can't have them all happen at once. The game's getting longer. It's the longest it's ever been for time of game. The amount of time between pitches continues to grow and the amount of time with the ball being put in play. The sum up on that is it is taking too long for nothing to happen. You can't have that. The game's got to move more for the young kids, people your age, and figuring out a way. I think that they – so they've got to figure out a way to get this thing to move more. They should absolutely be shortening the regular season – and if you're married to keeping 16 teams, then then do it that way. But I'm not a fan of devaluing the regular season so that we can get more postseason. Baseball does not have a postseason problem. It doesn't. Um, it, it's got a, the problem of at this point in time, I don't know that you know society is down to check in on a baseball game when teams are playing sometimes 20 straight days. I think it, it it makes it feel less important. Um, yeah. And so with well, there's okay, no with, there's no gravity to any single day. No. Right. And I think that like for those of us who are so deep in it, I don't need yeah. the gravity. Right. Like right, I, right. the three of us can pick out. You want to do it like the the best thing to do would be like one twenty four, and do two sixty two game halves. Because then you get a reset and right. you figure out a right. way to do to do it like that. You want to keep people involved, do something like that. And then you get 16 teams in and then you get do a whole boatload of seven game series. And, you know, baseball will basically turn into the NBA playoffs, which which, again, like if we are going to go there, I would rather agree. Seven, 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 seven. Like, that, yeah, man, because at that point, like at least give the good teams a chance to prove it. Now, all that said, like yeah, I want to ask about yeah. I want to ask about like your experience of the eight game day, right? Because for us, we're we're couched, right? Yeah. Like we are firmly planted, just uh-huh. really deep into into the sofa, just right. watching every single minute of it. You're broadcasting a game basically smack dab in the middle of that run. Are you yeah. following all those games during the eight game day? I am, but I'll also say that, like, on TV and, like, we're at our studio, and it's been, like, a little bit of a technical pig fuck in terms of what it's been like. At I mean, I lost audio to Chipper for an inning. I lost audio to Chipper, the reporter and the producer, at one point. And so there's always sort of – my point is – I, this year, I probably was a little more tunnel vision. So, y- yes, I'm paying attention. Am I quite as locked in? May I, you know, I, I, I kind of, I was a little tunnel vision at least uh, until my game was done on Marlins Cubs. 
let's talk about broadcasting a game that you're not at. Yeah. Because yeah. it is, I don't know if people completely understand how different that is and how yeah. difficult that is. Explain yeah. to me, like I'm nine years old. Right. Okay. Why it makes your job so much harder to be in a studio versus being in a booth. There are two main components to it. There is the connection with the people you're working with. I don't think a three-man booth is good when we're not at the game, if we're not at the same place. That's the first thing. So the connection of you know, nonverbal cues, we're looking at each other, and you know that I have one more thing to say or that my sentence is coming to an end by just the nonverbal. So there's that and the and the real connection and chemistry that is just harder when you're not in the same location. Technically, there are countless examples of what is more difficult, but watching the game, I'm seeing what you're seeing and then, you know, for example, the hardest plays are multiple runners on base and the ball is hit into the gap. You don't realize that I'm not looking, when I'm calling a game, I'm not looking at it the way you're looking at it. I'm looking at the whole field. So to call, you know, Tatis at the plate, Hosmer's at second, or Cronenworth's at second and Hosmer's at first, and Tatis hits it into the gap, I'm not looking at the monitor. And you're relying on me. Ball hit into the gap, and um, Bader chasing after it into left center. Bader, you know, throws to DeYoung. They're going to send Cronenworth. He's around third. Here's so, like, all I'm taking all of that in off off of the the field because I can see the whole field. So to have to look at different monitors is really challenging, and I just can't see stuff. Here's something that happened multiple times that you, as a viewer, don't even contemplate. I did. It happened in the Padres Cardinal series, but this is a better example. The way they shoot the game. I'm doing Dodgers-Padres. Mookie Betts is at third. Justin Turner hits a ground ball to third. Betts is on contact, breaks for the plate. Machado throws home. They run him back to third. Machado tags Betts, and the umpire's not in the shot. And you don't even think about that at home, because when I'm at the game, I can see the umpire saying safe. So I tell you, Betts dives back in, safe! And I tell you that, and you're you okay that's what just happened but you didn't see the umpire actually make the call but then he's not in the shot and it's so Betts dives back to third and what just happened there i didn't see did anybody see the umpire against the umpire did anybody see the umpire i don't know what just happened but you, and you have to go off of bets you, you, you have to go off and, and you also can't say i can't well but the then umpire. sometimes you can't but sometimes i can like i did it a couple of times this year right. Right. where sometimes they hit a ball to third that off the monitor, it's lined to third, and Makata makes the play, and he's still throwing to first, so I guess it bounced. <laughs> you know, right. like, right. and then the other uh, thing would be in terms of the pieces of information, right? You guys are dorks, so I could drop this one on you, and it's fun. But, like, this is the stuff I pride myself on. Just all these little nuggets. I've told this story a bunch of times, but it's like, I'm standing behind home plate before the A's Yankees wild card game. I'm talking to Brian Cashman and Billy Bean walks up and interrupts the conversation. I know both of them well. And he just interrupts Brian Cashman and says, what's up cash. You guys going to out analytics, the shit at us tonight. 
done with our conversation, the three of us. I pulled Billy aside. I'm like, can I use it on the air? He's like, absolutely. So here's like this tiny little nugget that lets you know that Billy Bean knows that the Yankees analytics have grown exponentially. He knows he's perceived as the money ball guy. And here's a funny little story. I get none of that. Before game one this year, I had a note. Last year, before game seven of the World Series, Max Scherzer took batting practice. It was in Houston, to DH Park. He took BP because it's part of his routine and he likes how it loosens up his body. And he was asked in spring training, once they went to the DH, are you still going to take BP? And he said, yeah, I think I might, but it's probably, you know, 50-50, something like that. I'm, I'm definitely thinking about it. And before game one, I am texting and calling every person that I can possibly get my hands on. And like, did Scherzer hit? Does anybody know if Scherzer hit? Did Scherzer hit? Does anybody know if Scherzer hit? And I couldn't find out. And it's also that in the middle of the game, this little six-second thing, Scherzer on the mound, turns, kicks, and that's outside, and they count one and one. Here's a funny thing. They have the DH in play here tonight, but Max Scherzer actually took batting practice. He did it before game seven last year, and he said he's going to do it this year, even though he won't hit the whole year. He's going to take BP the entire season on the days that he starts. Here's the one-one. Whatever. But it's one of those little things that somebody at home won't think to to find out or any of that stuff. And right. it, and, and yeah. so so ultimately, to me, if it, it's look, people can you can dislike the media, and I know people throw you know throw broadcasting at it, but it's one of those things where I guess I would say to you, for those of you that don't care, you should. When the more access is denied to us. The, you're getting less. You're getting less. Right. You just are. So um, I was really disappointed that we didn't travel for the playoffs. I, I didn't. I didn't like it, and it bothered me. So you're now tasked with covering broadcasting, arguably one which proves what might prove to be one of the most entertaining and compelling postseason series of the last five years. Padres, Dodgers, you're going to be on the call for that all of this week. What are you doing to prep to meet that moment? Yeah, so I mean, I usually start at it like very clinically. So I'm looking at, um, yeah, I'm looking at the numbers stuff. So I'm looking at stuff like this is the best Padres offense in history and the next closest to the 2004 Padres. I'm looking at they had the third lowest contact rate as an offense last year. And they moved all the way up to the third highest contact rate as an offense this year. Um, they led the majors in steals, but they also did it in 81% clip. And that's well higher than the big league average. They finished last in the majors and on base percentage every year, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And last year they were 20, last year they were 26 and they're eight this year. So, I mean, it's a huge swing. So, look, I, I don't know that all of that will be on my card, but I start with that on the edges, and then I start to get, you know, I will go back through my old scorecards, like games I've done this year, and, you know, and I'll just scribble down my jerks and profar note that Jace Tingler and A.J. Preller have known him since he was 14 or 15. 
They had him when he was in Texas. Um, the connection that they had to him. I have, you know, Mitch Moreland when they signed him with Texas that after his first year in Spokane, he went to instructional league because they wanted to look at him as a pitcher. They weren't sure whether they would use him as a left-handed pitcher or as a hitter. And then at the end of that instructional league, they decided, yeah, he's too good as a hitter. So I start to go through all of that stuff and get it in a more organized fashion. And then I kind of am able to just streamline it and turn it into, okay, so here's the, you know, the edges of this is what this team is good at. Here's what they're not good at. Here are some of the stories. This is what this team's good at. This is what they're not good at. And here are some more stories. Two things. Number one, it seems to me like your whole job, not your whole job, but a lot of your job is basically filling the 18 seconds between pitches with the best and most compelling possible stories, information to enhance the viewing experience. That's the first thing, right? No. Is that? No. No. No, my number one job is to tell you what's happening on the field in as descriptive and efficient way as I possibly can. That is my number one job. On radio. That's correct. What, what, that's what I'm calling the game. Right. The difference between doing radio and TV is a that's I mean, Jake, everything you said is correct. But right. I but, but it's not the my priority. number one my number one obligation is like I would say this just said to me i would absolutely say is my number one job on tv on radio my the job that supersedes it is to document it because you can't see it right uh so. boog i have a weird question you're you made me think about this because pro far uh tingler will be back in there playing in texas do yeah. you think you don't know the answer to this but i'm gonna ask it anyway do you think john daniels is gonna be allowed to be at these games um, you mean just like to go to his office? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> like I, is I, John Daniels, how does the neutral site gonna work? Is there is there anything about the neutral site that intrigues you as we move into this this bubble round? I, I guess that'll be I my mean, last I, question as we look forward here. Um, and does I, that impact I, at all who you think is gonna win the World Series? I am absolutely going to find out the answer to that. My guess is this that John Daniels can go. But it's got to be like, like, he can't just go like, hey, I'm just showing up for work. Like, it's like, my guess is that MLB has command of the entire right. ballpark would be my first thing. But I will find out. Okay. And then um, what was the second one? Just neutral, neutral site. site. Yeah. How, are you in, I know you're not going to be there, so it's a little bit different. But I, as we move into the, the neutral site portion of this postseason, uh, is there anything that interests you in particular about that? Um, I, I, I'm going no on that. I'm going no. I, I don't, I mean, if the, and I, I'm not dug in on it. I just, I don't know if as a sport, it's the type of sport that, uh, the one thing with the Super Bowl and, and stuff like that is that it, it, it is corporate -y, you know what I'm saying? So it doesn't feel, I mean, like, if we were to really boil it down, like what would be more interesting to you? Would you be more interested in baseball going to a neutral site or the Super Bowl going to home field? Because I'd be more interested in the Super Bowl going to home field. Right. In the latter. <laughs> right. Yeah. And obviously, like the larger context of no fans makes it harder in general. But yes. Um, so it's it's obviously different. Yeah. Everything's gonna be different for this season. But I agree. No doubt. Uh, 
Interesting. Uh, all right. Uh, Boog, who's winning the World Series? I don't know who you picked before, um, but I might as well ask you while I have you. I picked the Dodgers. I'm sticking with the Dodgers. I picked I the Dodgers the at the start of the season. And I mean, it's hard. Like, it's just the way I don't, I picked the good teams, you know, what, I, I don't really, know what to tell you. Teams. Yeah. I, this is also my approach to it. I, I want to <laughs> ask you true. one last, one last question. I want to ask you about Tatis because like, oh, he's reaching down for something or no, he's just giggling. I'm just loving, I'm loving on both of you guys. I'm just, <laughs> I just am. I just am. Go ahead, Jake. Jake, As continue, would you? Yeah, like, what's different about that? Like, what do you mean? Like, when you have a player like Tatis, who is yeah. objectively a different level of compelling than, like, yeah. Tommy Edmond, no offense. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, w- how does that differ the way that you call a Tatis play versus, like, you know another player making a diving catch. So like it starts here. Be clear. It starts with the level of greatness, right? Because for the longest stretch, we were sitting there going over these guys at shortstop is Lindor the best shortstop. I think it might be Lindor. You know what? Bogarts has become really good and and he's slugging, you know, who you shouldn't sleep on is Trevor story. And Baez is really good. Who's the best. And then this guy's just leapfrogged all of them. And so the combo of the flair with delivering, I, yeah, it's, I think that you just have to always be on alert. And then I guess the player that I would, I would liken it to a little bit. Now he doesn't have anywhere near the flair, but prior to this year for two years, Christian Yelich got to a place where for the, for the two for 18 and 19, you could have a legitimate argument about who the best hitter in the game was. You couldn't, you couldn't do it for the longest time, but you ha- could have a legitimate argument about who the best offensive player was. That's how good he was. And I think you could make the case that he was better than Trout for two years. And he was delivering in a way where it's like you're calling games and he's coming up. And they're down by one. And it's like, well, you just got to be careful here because this guy can tie it with one swing of the bat. Here's the 2-2. Two, two. Swing and a drive. And the next thing you know, the game's tied. And that type of shit doesn't happen in baseball where you're sitting there going, well, you better be careful because this guy with one swing could do this. And then he does it. Well, you better be careful because this guy can make a ridiculous play. And then he does it. That's, the, that's to me what jumps out at you is when – you know, in baseball, if you took somebody to a basketball game that had never seen basketball before, they could pick out the best player on the court rather quickly. You wouldn't necessarily be able to do that in baseball. And when these guys do things like this and make it a little more apparent, that stuff's fun. Right. You can do that with Tatis. You can do that with yeah. Judge. Right. Right. No doubt. It is a, it is a short list. I agree that yeah. right because it's other sports. It's like oh well, yeah, that's the good player over there. It's like baseball. Yeah. You, you, there aren't that many that are doing it that frequently where you could. You can tell it. at a high school game though, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Super Scout. I mean, uh, I I can't. Uh, you got anything else, Jordan? Uh, no, I'm good. Uh, Boog Shambi, uh, an absolute pleasure, my friend. As always, uh, you can listen to him call Padres Dodgers on ESPN Radio. And uh, we look forward to having you on again in five years. Thank you, Boog. 
<laughs> See you later. All right. Shouts out to Boog. Thanks for coming on. Uh, before we say goodbye to you fine listeners, we need to say goodbye to, uh, to some baseball teams. Uh, Jordan, five teams have been eliminated since we last recorded the Reds, Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, and White Sox. Let us bid adieu. Let me ask you, Jordan, I'm going to ask you what you'll remember most about these teams from the weird 2020 COVID Cup season. The Cincinnati Reds, Jordan, what will stick in your mind? I will remember this team for basically being disappointing for 90% of it and then sneaking in in the dumb postseason format uh, to the point where it was like, okay, well, it's good that the Reds actually made the postseason after they made all these moves. And then they just fell on their face and had one of the worst offensive performances we've ever seen in postseason history. So very disappointing. I don't really understand how it happened um, because you look at the names in their lineup and they're like, well, they shouldn't be this bad. And they were. So it sucked. I was very sad and just like wish they kind of had more oomph in them. But it was what it was. Amir Garrett, obviously, is what I will miss about this team. Him getting happy over his first save is what I will remember the most. That was amazing. Uh, let's say goodbye to the Chicago Cubs who I got to say, let me down because I recklessly picked them to make the world series as well as the, yeah, we got it. We got to bring this up. We got to bring this up. Jordan's world series pick. Yeah. Jordan's world series pick. I did pick Cleveland, I believe to, uh, to go to the (laughs) world series, Cleveland Cleveland and and LA. So we, but listen, this is why we don't like predicting things. So all the things we said at the beginning of this episode are surely to be wrong, unfortunately. Um, but no, it it sucked. It sucked. I mean, everything that you, that you were worried about, uh, turned out to be exactly true, which was like, okay, uh, Ian Happ, our, our good friend Ian Happ told us like, once, you know, once the numbers go back to zero, like then all of our all-stars were start picking it up. And like Ian Happ was great. He did it. And like, I tried to give him credit when we had, I was like, you know, you're, you're the reason this team is still really good. And he's like, yeah, but like my teammates, like, no, they all stunk and they lost. All the numbers reset to zero, but for some of those teammates, the numbers stayed right at zero. This cub season, I will remember most for Ian Happ becoming really, really, really good. And Hopefully, this is a blip on the journeys of Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, and Chris Bryant, but maybe it's not, and that's kind of scary. All right, the St. Louis Cardinals, Jordan, what what will you remember most about this season? I will answer this question myself. It is Jack Flaherty throwing into the mattress Mm. in the hotel room. It, to me, encapsulated all that was super fucked and uh, also, you know, Good and heartwarming. Like the fact that we're playing baseball during a pandemic, bad, concerning, hard to think about, making the best of that situation is all you can do. And Jack Flaherty being like, I got to get my throwing in is that energy to me. I agree. Uh, Like we said last week, the fact that the Marlins, Cardinals, and Blue Jays made the postseason, no matter how many teams are getting in, is crazy and very impressive. And no matter how blah they were to watch and how we were like not obviously did not want them to beat the Padres, it is very much a credit to everybody involved in the organization to even make it this far. So credit to them, but will not necessarily miss watching them play baseball. Uh, All right. Molina (laughs) Molina and Wainwright are both free agents just very interesting to will, thing to watch they will as both we be back. They will both be back. We all know that. Okay. Milwaukee Brewers, who I believe Boog said earlier are bad. <laughs> they were not good, <laughs> and especially bad without Corbin Burns. Um, but what will you remember about this team? Devin Williams, 
We've got a new name that we can say, is this person the best reliever in baseball? We didn't have that. He was not on that list. He was not even on like the Brewers opening day roster if they had broke camp uh, from the first spring training. But now he's definitely on the list, top 10 best reliever in baseball, probably top five. And I'm sad we didn't get to see him pitch against the Dodgers because he wasn't even on the roster because he was hurt. Hopefully he's not really hurt and we will see him in 2021. And that is a great answer because boy, did I not uh, miss or I'm not going to miss anything about the hitters on the Brewers except for Daniel Vogelback. Moving on to by far our favorite team in this group that we have to say goodbye to the Chicago White Sox who were sent home by the Oakland A's uh, in a real mess of a game three that we don't have to go into, but it was not pretty for a lot of reasons. And now they're gone. And this sucks because like the Padres, we're so excited that they're going to get to keep playing and we get to keep watching them. The White Sox were that in the American League. And unfortunately, we will not have that privilege anymore. Now, it was interesting, right? Going into the season, Jordan, we had talked about the Reds, Padres, and White Sox as this group of three teams looking to break out. And they all went like different levels of it, right? The Reds fought their way into the postseason and then just laid an egg. The White Sox like made their way into the postseason and like, basically fought all the way to the end. And then the Padres actually, you know, are seem to be doing the damn thing. Uh, I will remember the 2020 White Sox for the Lucas Giolito. No, no, that's a big one. And I will remember it as the year Tim Anderson got even better than he was. And Jose Abreu and Lou Bob. I mean, I know he sucked for the last three Dude, weeks. Abreu, but like- Abreu, I'm sorry, you're right. Abreu is incredible because like, again, small sample size, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, guys don't get better at that age, really, usually, right? right? And for him to even do that, even under that truncated amount of time, is pretty nuts. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and Lou Bob does shit that I've just never seen before. He is amazing. And I am very excited to watch the White Sox in 2021. Uh, all right. We have said goodbye to those teams. Uh, and now, before we end our show here, uh, we would like to uh, say a quick word about a Hall of Famer who, sadly, we Bob lost Gibson. Um, over the weekend. Uh, Bob Gibson uh, passed away. Um, I know we uh, we talked about Tom Seaver uh, a few weeks back about just one of the greatest pitchers of all time um, and, and losing him. And, and Bob Gibson uh, represents a very interesting... He, I mean, again, 1968, I mean, it changed the whole sport. So, like... There's really only so many of those in this very long history of the sport that we have, and he is at the very center of one of them. It's like him and Babe Ruth in terms of people who were so good that they fundamentally changed the sport, right? Like Bob Gibson. I guess, I guess Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the other is the other comp. Wilt. Right. <laughs> like, Wilt. That's really what we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, he was so dominant beyond anything anyone had ever seen and in a way people had really never seen and like changed baseball we are not going to pretend to be bob gibson historians that's you know that's not us but this dude there are we've we talked about this there's probably eight to ten pitchers you could say are the greatest pitcher of all time he's on that list full stop uh one interesting thing i thing i learned about him is that when he uh joined the cardinals one of the things that he did when he was there was fought to make it the first integrated clubhouse in baseball before guys on the road would stay together separately. And he, alongside Kurt Flood, uh, I believe, and I think Bill White, uh, they were like, hey, they, you know, worked to integrate the Cardinals and make sure that everyone stayed 
uh, together uh, when they went on the road. And like, that's a big, big deal. And again, you know, we've, we've talked about on this podcast, like obviously baseball racism doesn't end when Jackie Robinson uh, breaks the color barrier. It exists today. Uh, and it's important to view Bob Gibson as a vital character, a vital presence in that journey towards breaking down those barriers. Yeah, totally agree. And um, again, like Jake said, we are we are far from historians, so we just wanted to make sure we mention this and encourage you all uh, to go read and learn about Bob Gibson because you will be better for it. <laughs> uh, you know who was doing that was uh, Kamar Rocker came on the podcast a couple weeks yeah. ago and was like, I'm reading this book about Bob Gibson, so I'm going to have to get my hands on the the Kamar Rocker reading list. There you go. We'll uh, get the into the Rocker book club. I'm sure uh, he would be willing to share there. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you, Jake Mintz, uh, for doing this podcast with me. I'm looking forward to watching a lot of baseball this week. I know normally when we headed to the postseason, the, the you know the four games during the DS is the thing. We just had last week. We had eight games, so now it doesn't feel as special. But like we're gonna have three days this week with four baseball games. Yeah, four I know. Days, and that's gonna be amazing. So very much looking forward to that. Thank you to Bobby Wagner for producing this podcast. Thank you to Book Shambi for joining us. Uh, and I think uh, I think that's it. We will talk to you all uh, later this week. Adios, friends. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.